Good morning, church. If there's one thing that I really, really love about um, and really, really respect about our worship here is uh, is our ability to pay attention to what God's doing um, and, and to change accordingly. Um, I like that worship services here are not rote. They are not set in stone. We do not have to do things the same every single week, but we can say, you know what, God, we feel the Spirit moving in this way. And so we're going to respond accordingly. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, because that was what we were talking about a lot this last week. Um, I was blessed to be able to take about 20, 25 of our young adults from here and from Nanaimo and from over in the South Burnaby Church and uh, go out and spend some time up at Spruceton and spend some time talking about this, this challenge of paying attention to God. Uh, this challenge in the world that we live in of being able to pay attention in a spiritual sense to what the Spirit is telling us and what God's doing. And, and we talked about it in a lot of different ways. We talked about this idea of being able to pay attention to what God is doing inwardly to us, to be able to kind of like quiet that inward noise and actually listen to God. We also talked a lot about this ability to, to be able to, by, by being able to pay attention to what God is doing in us, to be able to start paying attention outside of us, to, to attend outward, to actually see people the way that God sees them. And, and to respond to them in the way that Christ would respond to them. But then we also talked about this idea of being able to attend well backward and forward. Being able to understand and, and constructively remember our past without letting parts that don't need to come with us come with us. How do we bring the best parts of our past forward with us and leave the rest where God can deal with it instead of trying to carry it like a burden with us into our future? But then also how to be able to imagine the future that God promises us and imagine it constructively while still being in the reality of, of where we are and kind of this idea of like living in two places. We live in the reality of where we are, but we also live in the reality of what God is creating and where he's taking us without, really, without, without losing sight of any of those things, our past, our present, or our future. And it all really comes down to paying attention. And that, that's, that's really kind of the focus of what we talked about. And, and it made me reflect a lot on on the sermon that we did two weeks ago on the idea of confession. And, and as I looked at what Daniel had done this past week on the idea of repentance and, and just looking at those and going, it is so important that we connect the ideas of confession and repentance to being able to pay attention to what the Spirit is up to. If I, if I can't connect confession and repentance to a greater understanding of what God is doing, then they themselves become acts that don't actually bring life to me. Let me, let me give you an example. Like, In order for confession to actually disentangle me from the burden of bearing my sin, I actually have to engage in it with the attention to what God is freeing me from and where God is freeing me to. If I don't have those things in mind, if, 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 if I'm not seeing a picture, if I'm not, if, if I'm not able to be in line with what God is, is giving me as a vision of, of where he is taking me to, of what a life freed from this sin looks like. If I can't imagine that, then it's very, very hard for me to see confession as anything but just kind of guilt-bearing, you know? It, it just, I messed up again. I, I didn't do it again. I, and and that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I thought the whiteboard was such a powerful, you know, of, of that God is freeing us to a new beginning, God is freeing us when we confess and when we repent to a new beginning 
Um, if, if repentance is, as the Hebrew understanding of it, is like being able to, to reweave the tapestry of our lives, to be able to, to literally, if you think of like weaving, to be able to kind of like pull that yarn back a little bit and then reweave it into a new pattern. If we don't have a mind of where God is taking us, if we don't have an, Im- if we don't have an image in our mind of where God is sending us, then we find ourselves reweaving the same pattern over again, don't we? We repent, but we find ourselves doing the same thing. We repent, but, but those, the, that repentance doesn't translate into new life all the time. A lot of times it, it, it translates into a temporary reprieve of action, and then we return to the old behavior again. And that's why I think this idea of, of seeing and paying attention, especially this idea of restoration, that this idea that God is restoring us to something better, restoring us to something fuller, restoring us to something different, is so important whenever we talk about the practices of confession or the practices of repentance. Because without them, without that, that, that framework to put them in, ultimately we miss the power that God offers us in those things. And in our reading today, I see a really good example of learning to pay attention. Um, and, and, and paying attention to the ideas of confession and repentance as restoration. Let me kind of give you some setting for what's going on here. So, so one, this is way deep in the book of Numbers. And I don't, I don't know how much time you spend in the book of Numbers, but there are a lot of numbers in the book. That's why it's that way. Um, there's, there's these two huge lists of like, and from this tribe, from this family, from this clan, there are this many people. And blah, 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 you know, it goes... On and on and on, and you try wading through it, and you go, oh, man. Oh, I want the Bible to be more exciting than this, okay? Well, the point is, is that it is more exciting. This book is actually, this book is actually very, more, very much an exciting book. The reason that you have these two main lists is it's a list of, it's a list of transformation. First, you have the list of the people who were not ready to enter in. And then later in the book, you have the list of people who have been made ready by God to enter into his promise. And the whole story is about God transforming his people um, through this, this period of wandering, transforming them and moving them and changing them into people that are ready to accept his promise. And it's difficult, and it's hard, and there are a lot of stories in there that kind of make you cringe because you're like, oh, it just, it just sounds terrible. And at the same time, it's like, why would transformation not be difficult? Why would restoration be easy? If it were easy, everybody would do it. Okay? Restoration's not easy. Restoration, especially in the image of God that he's created for us, is not easy. But, it, but if we engage in it, God is willing to make it a reality in our lives. And that's really kind of the, the undergirding of this, the whole book of Numbers is this preparation. And so you look at this, this passage way deep, and, and Israel finds themselves back at the gate of the promised land again. All right? They were here back in Numbers 13, and it did not go well at all. Instead of just talking about, oh, it would be so much better if we went back to Egypt, they actually decided that they were going to have like a little coup, and they were going to overthrow like the leadership, and they were going to make new leadership, and they were all going to trek back to Egypt and become slaves again, because that just sounds so exciting. You can take the slave out of Egypt... Sometimes it's really, really hard to take the Egypt out of the slave. And that's what they're dealing with in Numbers 13. And so, and so this, is, this is what sets them on this pattern of wandering. 
Okay, and they find themselves back here many, many, many years later. This new generation finds themselves back in the same place. They're at the gate to the promised land. They're ready to go in. And these two bigger tribes, okay, um, and, 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 and they're here, but it looks like history may be repeating itself. Reuben and Gad are the two largest tribes. And they have tons of cattle, okay? And they look around, and they, they look at this land that's kind of at the, the other side of entering into the promised land, and they're like, okay, you know what? This actually looks really good. This, this could be really good for us just to stay right here. And so they come to Moses, and they're like, okay, it, it, seriously, can we just claim this land? Would it be okay if we can just claim this land and not, you know, keep going? And it seems like a reasonable enough request. You're like, no, this, this really fits our needs, and, and you know, it'll, it'll be good. It'll be, it's exactly what we need. Is it okay? It doesn't look like there's any rebellion going on in here. They're not like, hey, we're just going to stay here. We're not going to listen to you. They actually come and ask, and that's always nice when they come and ask instead of just complain and rebel. You know, that seems to kind of be the theme beforehand. And it's interesting, like, like Moses seems to just really just, like his response is like, you'll be responsible for killing this entire generation. You're like, okay, overreact much? Um, okay. But somewhere in here, Moses sees uh, something different. He's swept back into those bygone years when these leaders' own fathers pull him aside and, and make their request along with the other tribes to just set up camp outside the promised land instead of take hold of it. It'd be easier for us to just stay here. We can't, we can't move into God's promise. It's too much. It's too soon. They're too, the, you know, the obstacles are too big, whatever it is. And Moses will not have any of it this time. And he lets the leaders have it. He says their unwillingness to move forward is going to condemn another generation to death in the wilderness. It is time to keep history from repeating itself. It's time to let the name of the place that they are camped in, Kadesh Barnea, fulfill its name and fulfill its reason for being in the book of Numbers. See, what looks like, it, what looks like an overreaction on Moses' part is really like a, it's really a call to restoration. It's a call to let God finish what he's been starting in this group of people. And a lot of it centers on, on the name of where they are, okay? Like everything in the Old Testament, if you, have an, if you name a person or you name a place, there's a reason for it. We don't name people for no reason. In, in, fact, in fact, when you name someone or something, you give it an identity and a purpose in the story. You know what it is, you know why it is, and you know what it's intended for. Even lack of names give purpose because they tell you that whatever it is in the story, it's a bit player. Um, there are times, there are times where, th- where people that should be real powerful like kings have no name. And the reason that they have no name is that the, 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 the writer is trying to tell us, it doesn't matter how powerful they look, they're really not that important to the story. Which is interesting in and of itself. You know, because then they're just the king of wherever or the king of whatever and it doesn't really matter. So, in this story, Kadesh has both an interesting location and a very interesting history. Okay? So, if you can see from this slide up in here behind me, um, it is really, it really is a gateway. 
between the trek across the Sinai Peninsula from Egypt and the approach from the south across the Jordan up into the Promised Land. So if you see where they are, they're, they're sitting at Kadesh Barnea right there, and you move right up in there into, into Canaan. So it really is kind of a gateway for them. It's, it's an entry point. It's kind of a point of no return. If you're moving up there, you're going, in, you're going into Canaan. You can't really double back anywhere. There's no real good place to do that. And so physically, it kind of sits as this gateway. But even more, this becomes a place where we repeatedly see Israel coming back around to this place. Okay, Actually, the first place, the first time that they come to this place, Kadesh Barnea, is in Genesis 13, before there is an Israel. Okay, The first time you hear this place mentioned is in, is in uh, Genesis, oh, I'm sorry, Genesis 14. And it's this really interesting story where Abraham has already kind of like divided things out with his son Lot. And, and you know, Lot goes and kind of lives with, you know, the, the area of Sodom and Gomorrah over here. And all these kings from Syria come down and decide to like basically try and take over the area. And so all the, you know, they end up all coming out to this area in Kadesh Barnea. They're kind of running away from them, basically. All right? Trying to kind of, like, find a good defensible position. They all come down here to, to uh, Kadesh, and they kind of duke it out. And they all get the, the kings, including, including uh, Lot and his family, they all get captured and taken. And somehow Abraham does kind of this, like, Chuck Norris Rambo thing and like gets a whole bunch of people and like runs in under cover of darkness and like does this rescue effort and like totally routes the I don't know how he does it you know because he's just like a guy in his household but he routes all these kings of Syria and sends them back up to Syria and in the middle of this story as as kind of all the fallout you know everybody's like oh you know such a great job here you know take a whole bunch of money here take a whole bunch and he's like no 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 this is this is not about this. This is about getting my it's about getting my nephew back and making sure he's safe. But in the middle of this, there's this guy that shows up named Melchizedek. You may have heard this name a few times. He just shows up. He has no past. He has no location. We don't even know where he goes after this story. It just shows up and he says, this is a priest of the Most High God. And Abraham gives him a tithe of, of the plunder gives him you know basically gives him a tenth of the plunder and then all of a sudden he blesses Abraham in front of everybody and and basically blesses him with all of the things that God originally said that the covenant that he was making was going to to be you know that he was going to be that he was going to be great that he was going to be the father of nations that he was going to be given the land and that you know the Lord is going to bless the nations through him it is the first time that Abraham actually has a physical encounter with either God or a representative of God affirming this covenant. Up until now, it's just been kind of like this voice in his head. Okay, he calls out and he hears the voice of the Lord, but it has no, there's no substance to it, right? This is the first time that you see the presence of God in this person, Melchizedek, who, is he a person? We don't even know. We just know that he's a priest of the Most High God shows up and makes this blessing manifest. And it's, the, and it's here that the, that the promise of the land is first, like, made manifest through this guy. Okay? And then, later in Genesis, we have um, Hagar and her son Ishmael running away. They've been dismissed by Sarah. 
and you know they're they're she's running into the desert and she is alone and she is without water and she's she knows they're going to die and so she kind of like you know hides her son you know near a tree in some shade and she goes off and starts crying by herself because she doesn't want to watch him die of dehydration and once again this messenger shows up of the lord and is like no you're not going to die here's some water you're going to be fine. Your son's going to grow into a nation as well. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be okay. The promise is for you as well. And where does she find herself? Kadesh Barnea. Okay. And now you move into this idea of, of where, where when Israel comes back out of Egypt, they find themselves circling this. I, I, didn't, I couldn't find a good graphic that shows how many times they loop around to this. But Israel ends up at Kadesh Barnea like three, four times in the book of Numbers. They keep, they keep kind of doing this little circling around down in Arabia and kind of circling around over in the wilderness, but they always end up back at this town. They always end up back at this place. And every time they end up back at this place, the, God keeps doing something. You know, the first time he makes the pronouncement that they're going to be wandering, and then the next time he comes back, like, like you know, Miriam passes away there. There's actually judgment against Aaron and Moses there. Every time, like, God keeps doing something that's significant and not always very fun, but it's always changing the nature of Israel. The thing that I think is interesting when you think of all of these times that it shows up, the name that is given to Kadesh Barnea is this. Kadesh, in its most basic translation, means holy, a place where God shows up. And, and if you look at the stories, God definitely shows up in all of his majesty, in all of his glory, in all of his tenderness, in all of his compassion, in all of his, I'm not going to put up with your sin, too, okay? He shows up in all of those areas. But then you tack on Barnea to this. And Barnea means the place of wandering. And so in essence, Kadesh Barnea becomes the place of holy wandering. The place where Israel, while it looks like they're just kind of making circles in the desert and not accomplishing much, something holy is happening to them. Because God is showing up. Because God keeps bringing things into their life because God keeps calling them to something better. God keeps calling them to take a hold of their promise. And every time they show up at Kadesh Barnea, they take a little bit more of the Egypt out of the slave. You leave a little bit more of Egypt behind, you leave a little bit more of the slave behind, and you are ready to be freed by the promise of God and enter into his promise. And our story here in Numbers 32 is when it's the last time that Israel comes around to Kadesh Barnea. And they're finally ready when Moses puts the challenge in front of them and says, look, if you keep going the same way that you've been going, history's just going to keep repeating itself. And they're like, fine, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. We're ready to embrace the promises of God. And they do. And they do. And they're finally ready to go in and take a hold of the promise that God has been saving for them for hundreds of years. But God had to grow them to get to that point. Tell me about it. It's a lot to take in.
It's a lot to take in. Don't worry, Nicolay, I'm almost done. But how am I supposed to understand this story in the light of confession and repentance? See, that, that's the real question. I mean, by itself, this is a great story, and we're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, God's got to get us ready to, you know, take his promise. And, and it's a good story. But I want us to consider it in light of these practices that we've been talking about. The first thing that I want us to consider is that God has these places in your life, in my life. We have a, we have a Kadesh Barnea in our life. I, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. I definitely know what it is for me. Okay? But it's this place, spiritually, where I keep finding myself circling back and bonking my head against something. Okay? I fi- You know, I, I think I'm past it, and I find that I've made a loop, and there I am again. And if I'm not careful... That place for me is a very, very frustrating place because it's the place where I feel like I'm just wandering, like I've gone nowhere. I thought I was growing. I thought I was being shaped into the image that you wanted me to be, God, but I found that I have circled back around and I am nowhere. I am back at the same place again. Here's the thing. While the most... Like while the while the while the most simple translation of that word kedesh means holy, sometimes it doesn't get translated with the same first letter. Sometimes instead of this hard like K or Q, is is how we would move. You know how we would try and translate that into English. There's this really phlegmy kind of thing. You know, like I, I can't even say it in the mic because I overload it. Okay, but like in order to speak proper Hebrew, you have to kind of. You know, you got to get the going on, right? But it, it's more like a chadesh rather than this hard K. If you do that, it completely changes the word. Because now it doesn't imply just holiness, like this, this, this place of like holiness that's separate and apart and, and so beyond. It implies newness. It is a place where my wandering brings newness. It is a place where my wandering brings new possibilities, new options, new life. And if you think about that, every single time that Israel comes back to this place, God is trying to do something new with them. And sometimes they and sometimes because of the holiness, they are not ready to go there. But then there's this but then there's this point where they get there and they are ready for the newness that God has offered them. And they're ready to move into it. And for you and I, the story of Numbers, it, again, it's a story of transformation. It's a story of restoration. If we're willing to pay attention to what God is trying to do, we go through the same transformation. In, in the story of Numbers, this older generation can't shake its identity as a people that's ruled by fear or ruled by slavery. And, and, and then this new generation starts to rise up, this new generation that's learned to trust God in the midst of that same fear and actually realize that the journey that they are on is going to get them somewhere. 
And for anybody who reads it, it's a story that, that makes you realize that, that freedom is a process of allowing God to transform you. We talk about being free in Christ, but it's not something that just goes and just happens when you accept Christ. It's something you have to be conditioned into. You have to be conditioned into accepting your freedom in Christ and what that looks like. Like I said, you can, you can, you can take the slave out of the world, but sometimes it's hard to take the world out of the slave. It takes some time to make them realize that they're free. And yet God reserves this place called restoration. Okay? This place where the reality of his holiness and his presence meets his desire to come alongside us and move our story forward. And like Israel, he keeps bringing us back to that place again and again and again to teach us. Not to discourage us, not to destroy us, not to break us down, but to teach us. To help us realize that, that being free actually means being completely dependent on the power of God. He brings us there until we're formed to the point where we're ready to use the lessons that confessing our inadequacy and moving in a desire to change to where those lessons can actually let God restore us and let God fulfill what he wants to do in us. Like I said, I don't know what those places are for you. I know what they are for me. But it's time to ask us, time for us to ask this question. What are those places that look like failure? That look like tragedy? That look like a dead end in our faith? But those are actually the places where God is standing ready to restore, ready to draw you past your sin, ready to draw you past the guilt or the burden. And ready to draw you into his promise. Ready to draw you further into who he is. Maybe those areas that you keep banging your head against are actually those transformative places of your journey. And that's why God keeps bringing you back to them. Because they are the, actually the places where you and I get to trade failure for promise. And they're the places where you and I get to learn how to trade doubt for faith. And they're the places where you and I get to learn how to trade brokenness for restoration. And that's why God keeps bringing us there. What will you do with the places of holy wandering in your life? Will they be places of newness? Will they be places where God, where God is allowed to bring new things when he brings you back there? Because those places, like for Israel, those places are a gateway to his promises if you are willing to have the attention to see. To see where you've been, to see where you are, and to see where he desires you to go. I pray that God will give us that attention.